Hi, welcome to Naval Gazing on valleyindy.org and 103.5 WNHH, New Haven's community radio station. Today's episode is brought to you by Valley Gives Back, a new initiative of the Valley Community Foundation. Adding a charity to your estate plan creates a legacy that tells future generations what causes matter to you during your life. Your action inspires others to follow your lead and to make a difference. With a planned gift, you have the power to impact your community forever without affecting your current lifestyle. For more information, visit valleygivesback.org. The Valley Gives Back is an initiative of the Valley Community Foundation, connecting private philanthropy to the long-term public good of the Valley. Plan now, give later, impact tomorrow. Valleygivesback.org. Hello, welcome to Naval Gazing, the Valley Indies podcast. My name is Eugene Driscoll. I'm a reporter, and I'm here with a fellow reporter. His name is Ethan Fry. Hello. Did I mention he is a reporter? Today on Naval Gazing, we have two guests, Donna DeLuca. She's the president and co-founder of The Cares Group. The other co-founder and vice president of The Cares Group is Matt DeLuca, Donna's son. Uh, CARES stands for the Community Addiction and Recovery Education and Support Group. This is sort of a, uh, a support group, I guess you'd call it, for families of uh, people who have uh, substance abuse. If, you're, mm. if your son or daughter is addicted to drugs or, or, or what have you, you can go to this group and, and try to find help for yourself about how to deal with this problem that is everywhere. So you know what it is. So I, I just thought before we would begin, we actually just we just taped it, so they they right. left, and it was what do you think? It was a pretty good discussion, right? Yeah, yeah. Now, and as uh, Matt was saying, there's uh, himself a, 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 a former recovering. recovering. He's now in recovery. Yeah, yeah. He was addicted to opioids. Mm-hmm. And as he was saying, um, you know, everybody knows someone essentially, and we were saying, you know, everybody knows multiple people now in this day and age who are you know, of using or abusing substances, whatever you want to or call it. And it's just such a, uh, you know, it, it, through all sort of socioeconomic um, strata and stuff, it's it's just impacts everyone, it seems. Uh, and it's, as he said, he thinks it'll become worse before it gets better, which is sort of chilling to think about because it's already so epidemic. Um, yeah, and I was looking at stats that were sent to us. I'm not sure what time period this covers, but it's talking about accidental ODs uh, in the area. Ansonia, 19. Seymour, 10. Shelton, 19. Stratford, 40. Trumbull, 12. Derby, 50. Mm-hmm. Uh, Derby's so high because the hospital's there, I, right. I assume. I right. People go there and then die uh, of an overdose, and it's your place of death. 
Uh, that has to be. And Oxford had seven, according to the Hartford Current, seven ODs in 2016. So as you all know, it is everywhere. And this is a group that's designed to to help families who are often just constantly being hit from the uh, shrapnel from a loved one's addiction. So, uh, and just the only other thing, totally unrelated, I wanted to mention, we tend to use uh, the opening music that you hear is the Bad Slugs. It's uh, called Ride the Dinosaur. We've sort of uh, incorporated that as our theme, which I think is okay. I've, I've received uh, the blessing of okay. one, one of the group's members, yes. Yeah, so. But I often forget to acknowledge that it's the yeah. Bad Slugs. and uh, Ken Dixon on vocals. Yeah. Connecticut a, Post State House reporter. I love the song and, uh, you know, Google them, Bad Slugs, and you can buy their... Uh, album or get a digital download itunes and they're everywhere yeah everywhere. i know Google i bought Play, it whatever uh it's a good price so anyway th- thanks to them for uh providing our anthem and without further ado here is this week's podcast so hey this is eugene driscoll again and today like i said we're going to be focusing on the cares group uh, which is a new group expanding its presence to a certain extent in the lower Naugatuck Valley and beyond. And joining us today are a mother and son duo who founded the CARES Group a few years back. We're going to learn about that today. I want to welcome Donna DeLuca and Matt DeLuca to the show. Great to be here. It's a pleasure to have you both. So, And Ethan, Ethan Fry is here today. Yes, I am. Finally showed up for work. <laughs> Uh, so let's talk about the CARES group, because I know, Donna, we were saying before we went on mic, I worked at the News Times, and, and so did Ethan, uh, back in 2003, and uh, we had done stories at that time uh, about the Parent Connection, which was a true grassroots group that helped people or helped families who had uh, uh, members who were struggling with, with substance abuse. So what's the CARES group, and, and what are you doing? Um, thanks for having us, first of all. It's, it's just a pleasure to be able to talk about what we're doing now. Um, the, the CARES group is still a, a grassroots organization that has expanded to other communities to offer the same hope and support for families who are struggling with a loved one that has addiction or substance uh, use disorder. Um, and it really was an, an offshoot of the work that I did way back in 2003, 2004, when we were experiencing, you know, deaths in Newtown of young people um, from prescription medication and opioid um, drugs. And as we know, the epidemic has just taken off. It's just spiraled downward. Um, And I noticed through the years that there were more and more towns reporting more and more tragedies. Um, I went from, you know, working in Newtown um, as a school administrator to uh, working back in Danbury and then in Brookfield. I ended my career in Brookfield at Brookfield High School. And one fateful summer, there were six substance-related fatalities in that small little town. And Ethan's hometown, by yeah, the way. Like yeah, geez. 2000 graduate. Go Bobcats. So you no, know. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was um, just 
the the beginning of this, what we've seen in the media, what we know is happening in Connecticut. And, um, you know, at that time, and Matt will, you know, tell his story, you know, he was coming really um, into his own recovery. And we decided, okay, can we bring this concept that worked so well um, from, you know, the, the inception of the Newtown Parent Connection, could we bring it to other communities and help other families that were struggling because um, we, we knew they were out there. You know, as a school administrator in a high school, you know, I knew that there were families that whose, whose children were just beginning to experiment with drugs and alcohol. And as a mom of, of two sons who are in recovery by the grace of God, I know where that could lead. doesn't always lead there, but I know, you know, and saw through so many families over so many years where it could lead. And, um, yeah, the drugs are just more potent. They're more prolific. I mean, you know, you can get them. It's, you know, they're deadly. Um, and so we thought, why don't we just bring this to other communities? And actually, Brookfield was the first community that we expanded to. Um, and then we have um, now currently we have four support groups and soon to open um, the fifth in Southbury. So we're really excited about and that. And I was going to say, if, if you get nothing else out of this podcast, you should go to www.thecaresgroup.org or search them on Facebook. The uh, URL there is facebook.com, the Cares group that's c-a-r-e-s and you can find where specifically you meet because you're in oxford and you're also in shelton shelton is is a, is one of our uh, towns we we cover uh so like taking it back a, a second uh how do you help families i mean i like i have uh, we're all been touched by uh, mm. addiction there's nobody anymore who who hasn't yeah you know like i know there's somebody close to me had you know was uh was a crackhead back in the day you know and uh was was off it for for 20 years and then for whatever reason picked back up off the races like they say uh again and uh you know you see just the 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 turmoil and the damage it does to people uh that's close and i know myself the way i dealt with it i don't think I, i couldn't really offer anything to help this person and just I'm waiting for them to commit suicide, essentially, to eat a bullet or to do whatever they're going to do, because that's what it is. So, and that's just the way I deal with it. But what do you offer for families uh, in this? Because there's so much shrapnel uh, from from addiction. Uh, so, yeah, we we our family suffered tremendously. Um, I have four children, two of whom are afflicted with substance use disorder. So, when and way back then, when it started for us, for our family, almost 20 years ago, there were not the resources there are now. Um, and so out of necessity, out of my own, I want to say selfishness, um, in a sense, I, wanted, I needed to be with other parents who were experiencing the same issues. I sought out 12-step fellowships that offer support and loved Al-Anon. It was great. But do you know, at the time I was looking, there were out of 225 self-help peer-to-peer support groups in the state, Al-Anon, 12-step fellowships, only four of them were parent-focused 
meetings. And I just needed to cut to the chase. I wanted to sit next to someone whose child was suffering, not whose spouse or whose parent or whose grandparent, you know, genetically had, you know, it, it was really critical to me that we spoke the same language because y- you're, you, you're stuck with your kids forever. You can't divorce your children, mm. and nor, you know, is it easy, no matter who in your family is suffering. But I wanted something different. And it, at the time, we were offered um, a group. I, I was going to Darien. I was going to a parent-focused All the way from meeting. Newtown. All the way from yeah, Newtown. Okay. And I was, you know, a, a school principal at the time. And I, I just didn't have that four hours every Tuesday night to devote to that. So we were offered a group. And um, what do you want? How do you want to design it? And I said, okay, I want it to be... Um, peer-to-peer support. We know that's best practices. We know that works. But we need to do something um, where we can share lived experience. So crosstalk was important to me. And also, we learned over the years that having a skilled facilitator was critical. Otherwise, there is opportunity for any group to go rogue. And what was critical to, to me is that in my education about what substance um, use disorder, addiction, what it was all about. I, I needed that education in order to stop blaming myself for my kids' diseases. If I didn't get, if I didn't learn about the neurochemistry of addiction, I remember vividly learning that this was a brain disease. And at that point, it, it was an enormous weight lifted off my shoulders because you could not convince me before that that my kids' illnesses were, were not my fault. They were my fault. I mm. was guilty. I was responsible somehow. Because that's somehow, what, yeah, just yeah. that feeling of... Right, uh, right. You, you, you just, you know, I learned so much in the course of my journey and my recovery, because I can honestly say I was addicted to my kids' addictions, um, that I would want to pass that on to our group members so that they knew the neurochemistry of addiction, and they got the correct information and not misinformation. That was reinforced um, by Matt uh, when he went to 12-step fellowships, and and he can talk about that, where he saw what happens when misinformation sort of gets, um, you know, propagated Mm. uh, within the group. And, you know, even even beyond that, just the... You know, I'm I'm sitting here as proof and, you know, kind of the the hope part of the whole uh, organization, um, you know, going into those groups and, and having parents be able to to look at me and see their loved one inside of me and see that that recovery is possible and that, you know, people can come out on the other side of this. Um, I think it really opens up you know, a whole avenue to what the CARES group offers. You know, when I was going through, you know, the the darkest parts of, of my addiction, you know, I used to strive on conflict and, and strive on confrontation. So, you know, I would do something wrong. I would I would be in the wrong for something, whether it was stealing something or, or you know, hurting someone in the family, um, causing someone pain. And rightfully so, I would be confronted about that. And, 
whether it was not being confronted in the, the most correct manner or what it might be, but I would strive on that conflict and on those, those confrontations where I would flip everything back around on the person that was confronting me, use that as a justification for why I was going to now go out and get high. And I really, those, those relationships and that conflict in our family kept me sick for so long. Because I used it. You kind of thrive off it. That, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And then... Chaos everywhere. Like, something yeah, changed, yeah. you know, and... What was your drug of choice? And what, what are we talking about here? Like, uh, what time period and how old were you? And then go back to what you were saying. Yeah. Um, I started using opiates. Opiates was my drug of choice. I started using opiates at about 21, and I didn't get clean until I was 27. Okay. So you're looking at a, a good six-year period of time there when, when it was really at the worst. Uh, my addiction was at the worst. Um, and you're so 31. I'm 31. Today. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Um, so f- things changed, and the responses started being different. You know, it wasn't the that response from, from your my family. family. From my family. Okay. Um, you know, it wasn't because they that had started started this group and started to well, do exactly. counseling. Essentially, it's my mother was but, running the the New Time Parent Connections, okay. and, I, and I was running out getting high. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was a huge conflict there um you know and and when there's emotion involved it's it's a lot more difficult to to try to offer help to a loved one but something changed and all of a sudden it wasn't such a punitive thing anymore um you know it wasn't that they were accepting of what i was doing it wasn't that they were happy that you know i was living this life as a drug addict but there was an understanding and there was an acceptance that I was sick, that they loved me, they loved me unconditionally, but that they wouldn't continue to watch me kill myself. And I couldn't get mad at that. I couldn't use that as confrontation. I couldn't cause uh, you know, a big fight that I was gonna walk out the door and justify my drug use for. I, for the first time, had to look introspectively and look at my own behaviors and all of this and what I was doing. And I'm not going to say it was easy at that point. I'm not going to say I, I ran off to rehab, you know, waving my arms and, and singing for joy. But I knew something needed to change, and I knew I didn't want to live like that anymore. And the one thing that was always presented to me was that when you're ready to get help, we'll be here. You know, when, we're re- when you're ready to, to, to not live this life anymore, we'll be here. So for me, and, and I know not many people, not so many other people have this luxury, but for me, it was walking up three flights of stairs, knocking on a bathroom door and saying, you know, mom, I can't do this anymore. I need help. I need help. And, you know, since then, being able to live a life of recovery and, and also give back in, in founding this, this organization that's been able to, you know, really provide miracles for a lot of families is is the reason you know is, is why i feel is my purpose in recovery it's what's given me a purpose today um i wanted to ask like i have a, a bunch of questions uh, for you uh, but first i wanted to ask just basically if i'm if i'm a parent uh, listening to this podcast and my son or daughter is addicted to drugs or alcohol or whatever uh how do I get in contact with the group and you kind of walk me through what happens because it's a, it's a whole, I have no idea. So what happens? I, I, I contact you through your website. I find out where any way 
possible. A lot of people um, use the our 800 number, um, and they call, and that takes courage to to call that number because, for me, if you're putting myself way back, you know, in the day where I was absolutely in despair, in chaos, in denial. Um, Making that phone call means it's real. But you know the courage that it takes to make the phone call, and you're going to get me on the other line, or you're going to get Matt, um, or you're going to get one of our other CARES representatives, and they're going to get to us. Um, you, is, if that's the first step, and that makes it, it makes it real, which is tough to overcome that obstacle. But there's such relief. I hear, we hear Every single time that either someone makes the phone call or steps into the group, um, that I wish I had done this sooner. You people understand. There's no pretense here. There's no judgment. So one that of the, is. Uh, sorry, one of the just one of the most amazing things for us to hear when people walk in at the end is they say that you know for the first time in my life I'm speaking about this. And I'm also not alone. You know, I'm mm. in a room full of other people who understand me. For the first time in my life, I'm actually saying the words, you know, my son or my loved one or my daughter, or my husband, whoever it might be, you know, is struggling with drugs and alcohol. And, and just the surrounding of comfort and support that they get from, from speaking those words is, it's really an, a, an amazing thing to watch. And then, of course, you're not helping the actual uh, substance abuser. That's, that's a whole, this is just to concentrate on the people around well, the so, attic. Or, so or, listen to what's happened through the years, because that is absolutely one of the things that CARES does now. This is through, it, through its evolution, what we've been able to do. So a parent gives me a call, or Matt, and says, you know, my 25-year-old child is stealing from us. Um, I know they're getting high. They're living in our home. Um, I have younger children. They're wreaking havoc. I'm sick. I'm, I'm getting sick. I'm anxious. I, I, you know, have heart issues because of this. My, you know, I'm going to my doctor. I don't know what to do. I think my child's going to die. And this is what's happening. Now, this is the difference between what was going on in 2003 and what's going on in 2018, 17, almost 18, is that they're younger and younger, and the drugs are stronger and stronger. So the first thing I would say to this parent is, you're not alone. My, my story, I have two children who, by the grace of God, are in recovery today. And this is what I've learned. Um, I've learned that when you come to our group, you're going to be embraced by these other group members because they've been where you are. And whether it's day one or day 365, you are going to have people who know exactly what you're going through. So you're going to be embraced, literally and figuratively. Number two, this group is about you and about your recovery and your family's recovery. And that's a really hard concept to to explain to people that had I not take, learned how to take care of myself through two children's addictions, and which are 10, 10 years each, they overlapped, but a lot of years of pain and suffering um, within our family, I would be dead. I would have been taken out. And the disease really wants to take us out. 
So what we've learned through all of these years is where and how to access good treatment because good treatment exists out there. It is extremely difficult with this epidemic going on to find beds in detox, to find beds in treatment centers that will keep you for longer than 21 or 28 days. Um, the insurance debacle is something that would be a whole other podcast. Mm. <laughs> but you uh, help guide people, yeah, you we, navigate those waters. Yeah, now we can talk about that. He's, he intervenes, works as an interventionist in many of the families. That and this is a free service. Free mm-hmm. service. Yes, gotcha. it is. So, yeah, we, you know, over the years, that's what we, we saw. Um, Get a little, yeah, there you go. You know, people would come into the group and, and, you know, over time they realize that the group is for them, but it doesn't change the fact that they need solutions for their loved ones. You know, it doesn't change the fact that, you know, they can be as healthy as possible and be in the best position to care for their child or their loved one. But if their child doesn't receive the type of treatment that they get, that they need, this is a disease and, and ultimately they're going to end up in jail institutions or, or dead. Um, so over the three years, developing a ton of relationships with treatment providers. And, and that's what, you know, we take our time to go in and do the vetting process. Um, I can't tell you how many treatment centers that I've been to over the years that, you know, wasn't good treatment. And it's, it's hard to, you know, I don't like to call people out by name or call facilities out by name, but there's a fine line between good treatment and bad treatment. There's a lot of people in this industry that are in it for the money to be yeah frank. as a cynical reporter like yeah. we yeah. Th- when we see advertisements now on tv it's a big business what is going that that it's just makes business. me sick it is you know yeah. so what we do is we go into the facility a lot of times and it's entertainment on tv that's another thing yeah. i'm sorry i mean there's there's literally shows mm-hmm. yeah. that are you yeah. know they put the disclaimer you know we're, we're docu-series but it's yeah so go ahead no and so what we do is we go into those facilities and we find out what, what their deal is. You know, a lot of times we've spent days as clients in their facility to see the real, you know, real look at what type of treatment they're going to get. Um, you know, we believe in a, in a philosophy that our reputation, our integrity goes as far as the places that we can refer to and the places that we can send people. You know, if we're doing all this great work in our, in our own groups with their families and their parents, and then we're sending or referring them to, out to a facility that doesn't provide good treatment, then we're just kind of getting in that same cycle that they were in before they went in. And, and that's the, the, the hardest thing to watch because I've been there myself. Um, what, are, what are some examples of, of good <laughs> treatment centers? I'm completely ignorant of, of any, really, but what, what are some good ones? I think the people that take into consideration um, the compassion and, and love and, and, you know, they don't treat people like numbers in beds and they treat people like human beings. Um, I think there's a, a huge si- stigma that's associated with addiction. Um, and I think that that, you know, carries over into treatment itself. I've seen situations in treatment where people look at at certain individuals like they're hopeless, like they're worthless. You know, how is someone supposed to recover in in a situation like that? How is someone supposed to take that next step and become a productive member of society when the people who are supposed to be helping them are looking down on them? So I think addiction needs to be treated and approached in a way where... Are there any, like, can you name, like, a specific hospital program or something that that works well or... Specific treatment that works program, well. um, yeah, that that's doing a good job. Just to get that information out there, 
Yeah, I mean, I we we work with High Watch up in okay. Kent, Connecticut, who's done you know great work. Um, with, they've been with, around forever, our, and they've right? been around yeah, forever. Okay. You know, and that's, that's a, one I'm familiar with. <laughs> so we we you know that's one of the places we went up and we sat there and we we met the the staff. We really saw the type of the work that they do. Um, you know, there's other facilities as far as a, a state-run facility. Um, MCCA, MCCA in Danbury. Danbury. Okay, and they have a Derby office too. Yeah, recently yeah. opened. Yeah, and they have Elizabeth an IOP Street. out of New Milford, I believe. Okay, you know, and they're another program that's been around for a long time and and do provide good care. The problem is, is that people know that and people want to get in there. So a lot of the times, you know, and it's no fault of theirs, but there's a wait list, you know, and it's hard to tell someone that's calling me and saying, yeah. "Hey, Matt, I want to yes. get into treatment tomorrow." Hey, you know. Give me three mm. weeks. Mm. You know, it it doesn't it doesn't work. You know, so we will do everything in our power. We've worked with sober homes in the area, sobering centers in the area. We will do everything in our power to make sure that person's safe. You know, uh, when they call us, it, insurance, no insurance, doesn't matter. We will make sure that that person has at least some option or some resource, even if it's, if it's as simple as a shelter and and a ride to it. You know, we will make sure that that person at least has a bed for the night, a, ro- a roof over their head. That's and that's our philosophy. In terms of uh, the CARES group, are you the two employees, or, and then there's volunteers, and is it a nonprofit? I haven't asked you any of those questions. It's a benefit corporation. Okay. So it's a Connecticut benefit corporation, um, which is a, a for-profit with a social benefit. Um, we actually we function more, more as a nonprofit. We it is just Matt and I um, that are employees, and, and then we, volunteers, yeah. and we do have loads of, of people who volunteer. And how long have you been around? Um, in July, it will be three years um, as as cares. And I think you know having all of those previous years from two thousand three mm-hmm. on um, with uh, the Newtown Group, I we. That's where we've developed some really good relationships, too, with, with treatment providers and treatment facilities that have have worked well for our people. I think one of when you ask the question about good treatment, I think one of the things we know from the, the brain research and, and treatment research, what works is length of treatment. So anywhere that has a good continuum of services from detox through residential, especially for opioid treatment, uh, to intensive outpatient, to outpatient, to sober living. If if a program can provide that, that's that gives that individual a fighting chance. That could keep somebody engaged in treatment for about six months. That's hmm. not what you see. You yeah. know, length of treatment. You know, we've seen is the the greatest determining factor. Um, for long-term long sobriety. You know, a lot of people say anybody can get clean. You know, anybody can go to rehab for 30 days and come out and they're clean. You know, it's just staying clean. And that's that's the difficult part, you know, and that's the part that we're seeing so many of these overdoses come from, um, you know, where people are getting clean, but they can't stay clean. You know, so they get clean, they get, you know, their tolerance is lowered, and then they start try to use what they used before, and, and a lot of people are dying. You know, a lot of people are dying because of that. And on, you know, Matt could speak to this, but with an opioid addiction, after 28, 30 days, you're just getting out of the fog. The, the real work is done after that. But that's when a lot of people are being discharged to, you know, home, 
not good if the, if the home's still toxic. And that's what we try to do mm. in the groups is to give the family members some fortification to change their patterns of behavior. Patterns of behavior have to change everywhere in order to really treat the individual, to have that individual um, know that they that there's no more contributing to this disease when I knew I was I knew I didn't cause it I knew I couldn't control it I knew I couldn't cure it but I sure as hell was contributing to it and it's what's an example of that like how are you contributing Um, to so this guy's behavior this guy's behavior Mm -hmm. he would okay so he would come to us and he would with an impassioned with tears with with everything he had he he would say i he just he didn't have enough you name it gas money rent money um it was money for something and your heart we're parents you know i'm going to be homeless if i can't and then you know fill in the blank and and before knowing knowing full well that that $20 was four bags of heroin. So you were aware he had a problem. Okay, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Knew it. And that, but then your, your heart and your head are in constant conflict. And it destroys marital relations. It's a miracle my husband and I are still mm. married because he would give over the $20. I would be crazed, you know, that this is what, you know, just happened. And then the, the next week, I'm the one handing it over. Or or he's, you know, there's jewelry missing. Or there's, you know, there's something going on, you know, mysteries. You know, all the electronics are stolen in the house. My husband thought it was the guy working on the telephone pole across the street. You know, it's mm-hmm. you, you get, you live in an alternate reality. It's I insanity. Mean, it, it, really it is. is. You, it, it is. It is insanity. And that's where, you know, if those patterns don't change, then that amazing child that you you know bore and that now has gotten clean and and is coming into his own self awareness comes back to a house where we haven't grown, we haven't changed, we haven't learned anything about how to help him, how not to contribute. Um, could even just be not engaging if we see one of these fights starting to brew to just not engage in it that's a change in in behavior but if we don't do that our kids could stay really we could be the reason our kids stay sick and that was a hard reality for me and that Um, you know that was something that you know looking at all the years that she was doing these groups with the parent connection to then while i was still using during that time you know you you look at that that disconnect there and and why you know she couldn't she could kind of counsel or or give advice to other families who were going through what she was going through but she couldn't, couldn't do, do it, it for myself. herself and that speaks to that that emotion that's involved when when dealing with all of this and and how difficult it is to to look objectively at a situation and and really look at it black and white without it getting kind of blurred by the emotion. So that's something that I can, we've provided through CARES is being able to look at a family situation and being able to, a lot of the times I get invited into the family to be able to 
to cut the emotion out of it, to look at the situation black and white and say, this is what's happening. This is what needs to be done. And this is the path to recovery if you want it, you know? Um, and that's very difficult for some people, you know, to, to say, are you prepared? I always use the, you know, the, the two feet of snow on the ground in the middle of winter <clears throat> with nowhere to go as the analogy. You know, if, you're, if you set that boundary with your kid and he's out of the house or she's out of the house and it's, there's two feet of snow on the ground and they're knocking on the front door saying, mom, dad, I just need one night. I just need a place to stay. What are you going to do? And that's where you have to gauge it. That's how difficult it's going to be to set a lot of these boundaries with, with your children. But it's absolutely necessary. As someone who needed the boundaries set on him, I'm saying it's absolutely necessary for your kid to recover or your loved one to recover. No, it's uh, it's it's eleven forty six, Donna. We said you we wouldn't keep you because you you have somewhere to go. Uh, I, I could be to Trumbull by uh, by twelve thirty. Yeah, you're welcome to duck out. I just had a few more. I wanted to talk, Matt, specifically about what in the heck is going on with addiction in general, just to get your your take on it. Sure. But we can take a break and and thank you for being here. Maybe that's the way to do it, and that way you're not going to be yeah. late. Uh, so I want to thank you, Donna, so much uh, for coming on. Uh, you know, and best of luck with everything that you're Thank doing with you the organization. Thank you so much for having us. No problem. So we'll be right back. Hi, this is Eugene, most likely interrupting myself to bring you a message from our sponsor. What will you be remembered for? Adding a charity to your estate plan creates a legacy that tells future generations what causes matter to you during your life. Learn more at valleygivesback.org. It's an initiative of the Valley Community Foundation. Plan now. Give later. An impact tomorrow at valleygivesback.org. Now back to the show. Okay, so we are back with uh, Matt DeLuca. So about the CARES group, what, what's or about the Oxford chapter of the CARES group, what's the news? Well, we went, we went into Oxford and... We had a little bit of difficulty with a location, a, a spot that was going to work for us as far as a consistent meeting spot. I think they originally might have thought that this was like a, a one-time shot-in-the-pan type like event or, or a pre presentation. I don't think they knew it was going to be consecutive weeks. Who's they? I'm the, sorry. The, the government of Oxford, oh, okay, town okay. government there. Okay. Um, so oh, they had, you, you were operating like out of the senior center? Or, or, exactly. Okay, gotcha, exactly. Gotcha. And so basically the senior center wasn't going to be an option for us going forward um, consistently. So we kind of reevaluated at that point and we looked at Southbury as far as its proximity to 84, uh, I-84, and it being right off the highway there. And we thought about that stretch, being as we are already in Shelton, um, you know, that stretch of being able to reach up the 84 corridor and, and maybe into even as high as Southington, mm -hmm. um, you know, to have people and kind of reach a broader population. And where are you in Southbury now? Do you like rent a, is that, are you renting places all over? It's or do 283, you oh, sorry, 283 Main Street North in Southbury. Okay. It's, um, I want to say United Church of Christ. Gotcha. Okay. There in Southbury. It's right off exit 15. And then where do you meet in Shelton? In Shelton, we're at the Echo Hose Ambulance uh, Training Center, which okay. is right 283 Howe Avenue. Sure, sure. Um, okay. And how often do you meet? In, that Shelton is really where, that, that's one of our core towns. So how often do you meet there? We are in Shelton every Thursday night. What time? It's from 7 to 9 p.m. Um, and it's a drop-in group. We have groups, or I'm sorry, members of the group that will 
come at 8.30 for the last okay. half hour because they you know, had something else going on that night. And if I've never been there before, I can just stop in too? And absolutely. Then, okay. Absolutely. So we welcome anybody um, anybody to come. The only thing that we require is that, you know, not to come impaired, <laughs> um, obviously. And, and you'd be surprised, but it's happened in the past. And if a person is struggling with an addiction, we like them to get you know a year clean before they come back into the group. But we oh, do invite them okay. to come back and tell their story. You know? Um, you know, obviously, as the founder of the group, I'm in you know, uh, many of the groups pretty consistently and, and have the ability to, you know, to share my story and my message with, with the group members pretty consistently. And, and what um, I wanted to ask also is funding. How are you funded? <coughs> so we... Not a dollar-by-dollar dollar breakdown, but just generally how Yeah, you, no, we, we work with... Um, we work with treatment providers, you know, like we were talking about earlier, you know, going in and vetting those treatment providers. We work with treatment providers on a marketing and promotional um, contracts okay. and and use our groups as a way to get those resources out into the, you know, into the public. Um, and we have some benefactors and some some people that, you know, really believe in, in the work that we're doing and give donations. Um, you know, we're, we're small at this point. We just, you know, it's just me and my mother, but we're, we're looking to expand and looking to grow and getting that, those groups out to as many communities as possible. Okay. And then uh, just in terms of your story, I mean, we don't need to hear like your whole, uh, 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 what do they call it, drunk-a-log? Yeah. I guess you were op- opioid, so yeah. it was, and like it, when people say opioids, like I feel like I'm a dinosaur <coughs> in some respects, like that's heroin. We're talking about heroin. You were, you were addicted to heroin. I was addicted to opioids. <laughs> um, I was addicted to ph- pharmaceutical pills. I okay. did at the end. Like, what are some examples? Uh, like Percocet, I could, Vicodin, okay. Um, okay. Oxycontin, Oxycodone. Um, Oxycodone is Percocet. Uh, hydrocodone, hydro, any okay, all type of yep. opiate, really, medication I could get my hands on. Um, why do you think, do you, do you ever stop and think, like, why? Why you, hmm. what did it do for you? Well, that's that, I guess a million dollar question. Yeah. You know, um, everyone has a why. And, and that's part of what I talk about when I go into schools. Um, I started a, a social media platform, not to, it kind of goes with this answer, but I started a social media platform um, about a year and a half ago and dealing with that stigma, you know, that, that perception, the guilt, the shame, the embarrassment that I felt from my addiction kept me sick for years and kept me from asking for help for years because I was so ashamed of myself. Um, and I, if I, you know, taking that, that concept, you know, we made a, a social media platform to get people's stories out there to show the raw unfiltered look at who the people are that, that are affected by addiction. But to go back um, to when I was 14 years old, walking into Newtown High School and felt what anxiety was for the first time. And I didn't know that's what anxiety was. I just knew I felt weird and I felt different and I felt like this is not right. And that, not having an outlet for that, not having a, 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 a way to feel like I could, a comfort level to feel like I could go out and talk about that, um, it really morphed into like a terrible self-image and a terrible belief pattern about myself. You know, I really didn't like myself. I really, you know, would... On the outside looking in, you'd be like, he's the quarterback of the football team. He's got a ton of friends. He's, you know, what would he have not to like about himself? And I couldn't explain that. I couldn't. But when I looked at myself in the mirror, I didn't like who was looking back. And it's like a broken brain thing. And then suddenly there's some substance involved that kind of lifted that. Exactly. For a little bit. And then. so, So then all of a sudden drugs and alcohol are introduced into the equation. And it's like, 
Oh and my God. I, here it is. Aha. I found it. Yeah. Uh, and I could, I, you know, I had more confidence. I, I really liked going out and being social, which was a very anxious period for me back then. Um, and I realized like I am everything I want to be when I'm using. And that was a bad, bad, bad thing to get plugged into my brain because I ran with it. You know, I ran with it and I was going to be the best version of a partier that I could be. I was gonna be the best version of a drug addict I could be. And you know, it, it spiraled into just years and years and years of being miserable, you know, and, and really like working to, to use and using to work. And it was just, uh, you know, it's something that I, I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. And, you know, what's sort of fascinating, I guess, to me, you know, uh, drug use and alcohol abuse has always been around. And I remember being a younger reporter and, and probably seeing you in the police blotter possibly yeah, absolutely getting i'm the, probably the guy that put your name in at that There's period no question about because it. i remember specifically when your mom and and dory carolyn mm -hmm. got the parent connection going i remember going to, before it had a name i remember going to those first meetings at because there was definitely something going on in it, it felt like a new town specifically for well, whatever the, well reason. the new town b put a hypodermic needle as the flagpole on the front page of whoa the i don't b. remember that so that kind of like got people's you know think about that back in the the early 2000s something like that happening that piqued a lot of people's curiosity mm. like did they really just go there? Because it was supposed to be, you know, Newtown was the was wealthy the the, white the, area, yeah, and that those things don't happen. There's a flagpole in the center of exactly. town. It's like iconic, yeah. just to explain them. Oh, so, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, so all that happens, and, uh, you know, uh, as a reporter, every community, yeah, all right, there's drug addiction, and it's, it's part of just life. And But now it's like... It, it really seems almost epidemic. worse yeah, than ever. Yeah. And I don't know if that's just, I mean, I don't deal with it every day or if I'm just someone reading it. What the hell is going on from, like, what is going on in the world that so many people, or, or maybe it's not, maybe it's always been there and I, now I it's think, just getting noticed? I think you can you can look back. There's a lot of information out there as far as what the pharmaceutical companies and their role in, in all of this mm. and, and the overprescribing problem in this country. Um, you know, I always get the date wrong or the, or the time period wrong, but I think it was in the early 90s. They made pain one of the five vital signs, you know, or something when you go into the hospital and they, you know, are checking oh, you. you do pain the zero is, to whatever. Is, yeah. is zero, okay, on a scale okay. of zero to 10. Huh. <clears throat> Hospitals get their funding by how well they can treat pain. Physicians get more, better ratings and more patients by how well these people are saying that they are curing their pain. So that's when I think we started this throw opiates at a problem. I mean, I have sat in rooms with physicians who have stood up and said, we are responsible for this. You know, hmm. we are responsible for the overprescribing problem. So now we're responsible for fixing it, you know? And, and I think that there's a lot of people that have taken that approach and are, are working towards that. The problem is, is that we're, it's, in my humble opinion, I think we're, we're in a position where we're going to get worse before we get better. And you ask, how could it possibly get any worse? But it, it, it really can. Um, there's a strong push by the state and federal government right now for medically assisted treatment. I personally feel that there's absolutely a place for medical medically assisted treatment. So we're talking about the Suboxone, um, the Methadone, the Vivitrol, okay. that kind of stuff. 
there's a place for all of that in recovery. Um, I was on Suboxone at one point in my life. I was on a Suboxone taper to when I went into treatment for my detox. And this is like when you're addicted to, this is something that's supposed to help you help wean you, wean you off, off it. But, it's, but it can be just as bad from what I understand. Well, or from it can, what's the problem? From is listening. Cause, cause from, a dependency, just right, a different exactly. dependency. I was going to say my, my whole experience with it is just listening to Artie Lang from the Howard Stern show. Like, <laughs> it was on that. I mean. So, yeah, it's just as addictive, if not okay. more so. Um, addictive than the drugs themselves that people are on. Now, the way that it's continuing to happen is because your life does become somewhat manageable, quote unquote manageable, um, when you're on it. You know, you are taking a daily prescribed dose of opiates every single day. Hmm. So yeah, you're able to go to work. You're able to do, you know, a lot of things that, you know, when you are having to go out and cop heroin on the street, you're not able to do. So, so it cleans someone, it up a little. It cleans it up a little bit. But, but the underlying problem as to... Putting a, you're was, putting a Band-Aid on it, yeah, but it's okay. still bleeding underneath, you know, and it okay. doesn't really heal. Um, so do I believe that there's a, a place for it? Absolutely. There's people that are dying out in the streets every single day. If it's going to take Suboxone or Methadone or Vivitrol to get them through a couple months to be able to be open to the idea of treatment and sobriety, I think it's a, a miracle drug. I really do. Um, my problem is when I see people on it for 10 years, hmm. you know, and then what kind of quality of life is that? Um, you know, when the people are on it for two, three years and they want to get off of it, you know, and then what? Then what? I'm working with a family right now. They have a, 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 a son who's on 50 milligrams of methadone. He can't even get a detox to take him. Now, why is that? Because it's so... Because, what, what, it's, because oh. apparently 30 milligrams is the, th is the threshold of what you can detox from. But okay. when you walk into a methadone clinic, they're starting you at 30. Hmm. And they're just going up from there. So it's like, hmm. it's, it's almost impossible. You get stuck into these, these cycles and they keep you stuck. They keep you hooked in there. And... I, that's where I say we're we're going in a in a direction where it's going to get worse before it gets better. And then if I'm somebody who's struggling with uh, uh, addiction to opioids or I mean, is booze? Is, is it's all the same? Is or is it everything? All, all right. the same. How does one tap into uh, support groups for somebody who may be actively uh, addicted or drunk or whatever the terminology is? Fellowships all over the place. You get them online now? Is um, it like, I mean, can you look them up as to where they are? Yes, there's meeting locations online. There's even online groups that you can take. I wouldn't recommend that uh, long-term because it's like a, a kind of way to isolate yourself. You can yeah. sit in the you know, dark, <laughs> dark room <laughs> on the internet. Um, that can't be good. Yeah, so you want to get out and you want to talk to people. You want to meet people. I think so much of what the struggle is with addiction, there's a, there's a, a human connection part of it. You know, yeah, and, what, are those, mm. what, what does like a meeting look like now? Is it all young people? I mean, because we more. read the obituaries because <laughs> yeah. we print them. Mm. And yeah. we're like, yeah. uh, the 20 year olds now making it into the obituaries. I've never seen that in 20 years. Uh, clear, and it doesn't say it cause of death, and I'm speculating. Well, but you, when, is it when, all when you died see unexpectedly, well, like yeah, the when, euphemisms. When you, you see know, 24, 25, 26 year, olds, 26 year olds dying unexpectedly. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, I hate to make assumptions, and I really don't like to do that, but, you know, there's how something many going reasons on, yeah. are there for 25, 26, and 27 year olds to be dying unexpectedly? So if I'm a young person, if I'm in my 20s, I mean, my God, that's a hard time, I would think, to sober up or get clean. But uh, in, these, in these meetings, is there are there a lot of young people, I guess, and is that a support group or is it, is it just depend on where you are? And yeah. I mean, I think there's definitely more over the, the past 
five to ten years. I, I you're, guys, you're growing say. old in it. You're yeah, getting, yeah, act, yeah, I'm becoming one of the, the older members, I guess. But, you know, there are meetings that are specifically for young people or beginners. You know, if you're early into this process, you know, there's meetings that are designed for you. If there's, you know, if you're a young person and you don't want to necessarily sit in a, a church basement with you know, 60 year old alcoholics and then there's other meetings for you too, you know? So there, there's a meeting out there for anyone. I, I, I used to laugh when people used to always say to me like, Oh, I just can't stand those meetings. And I was like, well, how many did you go to? And they're like three. I was like, well, I didn't mean, really give it much of a shot considering how many options there are for you to go in the state of Connecticut. You'll find a meeting that you'll like, you'll find a meeting with people that you can relate to. You just got to look for it. You know, it, one of the thing, best pieces of advice someone gave me when I was getting clean was that you need to put as much effort into staying clean as you put into getting your drugs. And, you know, if there was two feet of snow out on the ground and your dealer was three miles down the road, but you couldn't drive, you'd get those drugs. Hmm. You would find a way to get those drugs. That's the way you got to chase a meeting, you know, and chase meetings. If you went to a meeting and you didn't like it, go to another one because you, you might find something in that next meeting you will like. And it's your life. You know, it's your life. All right. Well, Matt, I want to thank you so much for coming on this program. Uh, and your mom, Donna, uh, for coming on. And they are the president and vice president. Donna's the president. Matt's the vice president of the CARES Group. And that stands for the Community Addiction and Recovery Education and Support Group. Uh, you can find them online. What's your URL, Matt? It's www.thecaresgroup.org. And our um, 24-hour hotline, I mean, it just brings to me, my or my mother, then me, then some other representatives that we have, but it doesn't matter if it's three o'clock in the morning. And if you're in a crisis, you can call it. It's 855-406-0246. All right. Thank you. Think as I butcher the <laughs> last part there, I'll edit that out. <laughs> thank you so much for coming on. Thank, thank you, you for having me. For hundreds of years, we brought you the news.
Dinosaur. 